when I was in high school, uh, many of you know that uh, I was a basketball player, and like most basketball players, uh, basketball is a game where the object of the game is to score a bucket. So you take a ball and you throw it through the hoop just to catch everyone up to speed. Now, the goal is to score more points than the other team. And so the thing that's glamorized in basketball is scoring points. And so I always wanted to be the scorer. Because guess what? When they wrote about you in the newspaper, they only talked about a couple, one, maybe one, maybe two people on the team. And the people that they wrote about were the people who scored the points. And so I always envisioned this, this day where I would open up the Seattle Times or the Seattle PI back then, and I would look at the game results, and I would see the write-up, and, and I wanted to see Caleb Mayberry leads the team with 30 points scored. Or Caleb Mayberry dominated the game and had 25 points and 15 rebounds. I want it to be in the paper. But unfortunately, I was not the scorer on my team. In fact, I don't know that I ever scored in a regular season game over 10 points. I was adept at some other things, but a scorer I was not. And I looked at the others on our team who who were the scorers, and they got their names written in the paper, and they got the all-metro accolades, and, and I wanted to be like them. I wanted that spotlight. I wanted that shine. And I had this, if you would call it, a scorer gift envy. I wanted the scoring gift. And I didn't have it. And I saw the others who had it, and I wanted that. I wanted to be in the spotlight like them. On the other hand, sometimes I felt less valued by those who had the scoring gift. They looked at me and they said, you don't really give us many points. I'm not sure if we really want you on our team. And, and they didn't necessarily say it like that, but you felt it. Pass me the ball, I'm open. Crickets. <laughs> Did you know that this type of situation can occur in the church? This is in fact what is happening in the church in Corinth. The church is being divided on this issue of spiritual gifts. Some are guilty of spiritual gift envy, and others are guilty of spiritual gift elitism. And Paul is going to break down one of, if not the most helpful metaphors in Scripture for understanding the church. And that metaphor is the body like the human body, a body made of many parts, but still one, still one unified body. And Paul is going to use this metaphor of the body to be corrective, both for for those who are prone to spiritual gift envy and those who are prone to spiritual gift elitism. And what I want to do for you this morning is break down this passage into three points. Three points that will help us as a body learn to grow together um, in unison. So the first point is each and every member together make up the church. 
each and every member together make up the church. The second point is this. Each and every member is indispensable. Each and every member is indispensable. And the third point is this. Each and every member needs each other. Each and every member needs each other. And so those are the three points that we will cover. We'll start with the first. Each and every member together make up the church. I'm going to start and reread verses 12 through 13. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Paul starts off by telling something, telling us something that we already know. Namely, that the body, like the human body, is one. Has many parts, heads, maybe not multiple heads, a head, uh, eyes, hands, feet, legs, multiple parts, but we understand that it's one body. But then Paul tells us something that we may not know. It might not be as obvious. He says that Jesus is the same way. In verse 12, so also is Christ. Jesus is both one and yet made up of many parts. Now how can this be? The answer is because the church is the body of Christ. Now, now Paul is assuming that they already understand this because he's, he's taught them before. And if they don't understand stand this, he, rid, he, he emphasizes this. He makes it clear in verse 27 when he says, Now you, he's speaking to the Corinthian church, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And it's because of that fact that the church then reflects some of the same sort of attributes. That's why you can make that, that analogy to the body. But the church has many parts and is one, and therefore Jesus has many parts and yet is one. The question then is, is how do you become part of the church? That's why Paul starts off there. What happens? Paul says that, that we were baptized by one spirit into one body. That's the how. How do you become part of the church? Paul says we're baptized into the church by the spirit, by one spirit into one body. Now, some of you with a church background might be thinking that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that happens subsequent to conversion. You believe, and then at some point later, you might get to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. However, in this case, Paul seems to have in mind that this baptism by the Holy Spirit is for everyone. He says in verse 13, for all, for we were all baptized by one Spirit. And we were all given one spirit to drink. 
So Paul is connecting this idea of baptism of the Holy Spirit to something that happens to not just a select few believers, but to all believers. And so from, from what Paul is saying, he's articulating this baptism of the Holy Spirit is not as some future thing that happens after you believe that may or may not happen. He's saying it does happen when you believe. Now, so our church would differ from some Pentecostal, some, um, some, even some charismatic churches that believe that baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that happens after conversion. One commentator, uh, Dr. Craig Blomberg, he's a New Testament scholar at Denver Seminary, says this, Given that Paul says all the Corinthian believers have been so baptized, and given the level of immaturity of at least some of them, it is impossible that spirit baptism should be any kind of second blessing or subsequent experience of God apart from conversion and the initial arrival of the Spirit into a person's life. One of the dangers of believing that there is a second baptism of the Holy Spirit um, is that, uh, and, and that not all believers may experience that baptism, is it becomes kind of like having a membership without all the full benefits of it. How many of you have signed up for a free membership only to find out that there were some hoops that you had to jump through and maybe more money to pay later to really experience all the full benefits of it? If we tell you the good news is that you just need to believe to have everlasting, everlasting life, but then we say, okay, now that you've done that, you need to pray that you're baptized by the Holy Spirit so that you can have all the fullness of life here, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel if you don't get that so-called second baptism? In this type of model, especially when it seems that not all believers experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the same way that we see in the book of Acts, that you sort of create this two-tiered or multi-leveled Christianity. Level one is you believe and you're accepted by Christ, by faith. Level two, you get baptized by the Holy Spirit and now you have the fullness of of power that can tend to produce divisions because now all of a sudden you have your super Christians who've been baptized and you have your regular Christians Christians who haven't and the whole argument of what Paul is trying to get across is that there aren't any super Christians He's, we, we looked at this last time like the confession on the basis of, of, of how we have the spirit anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if we genuinely confess that Jesus is Lord, we believe that he's our Savior, guess what? We have the Spirit. That's anyone. That's everyone. And so each and every member who confesses that Jesus is Lord has the Holy Spirit has been baptized with the Holy Spirit, has full membership and all the benefits thereof in being part of Christ's body. And it's not to say that we, 
we would disagree with our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, but they still are brothers and sisters. This is a secondary issue. So we don't demonize them, but we just point out where it doesn't seem to line up with Scripture, where it seems like it might have some, some potential pitfalls. That's, that's all we're trying to do. We're not trying to say they're bad or, or wrong, uh, except for in that point. But it's not, like a, it's not something that makes someone not a Christian because they believe in a second baptism. I have friends today who believe this, and they're still friends, and they're still brothers and sisters in Christ. So I just want to continue to emphasize that spirit of unity and yet look at the scriptures honestly and as much as we can with the Spirit's help to understand it so that it would be helpful for us as a body. Now because of this baptism in the Holy Spirit, there's something really beautiful that occurs. Diversity. Verse 13 says, whether we are Jew or Greek, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. Which means, regardless of our ethnic, cultural, social, class backgrounds and distinctions, we're all one. There's no distinction from the level of family. There's no distinction from the standpoint of our our position before God, our relationship to God and to each other. And it's interesting because these distinctions are something that would have mattered in their culture. These distinctions are things that matter, quite frankly, in our culture. And these I mean, it's not that you can't find events or places where you can see diverse crowds. You can go to Costco or go to a Seahawks game, and you're going to see great diversity. But what you don't see is, is a unified fellowship, a, a, a community that is deeply unified. I don't know. I haven't seen that at Costco. I just like the snacks. The church has the opportunity to be something different. It, the church can be a puzzling picture of very different people, not just coexisting in the same space, but, but thriving in a deep unity of fellowship that can only be brought about by Jesus. Have you... How many of you have friendships that you know are only possible because of the love of Christ? Like, there's definitely friendships I have now that I'm almost entirely sure I would not have apart from Jesus. Take Pastor John Prince, for example. Um, he's not only a co-worker, but he's a good friend. But naturally, we're very different people. He's white. I'm black. He loves skateboarding, soccer, and mystery science theater. I hate all three. <laughs> for years, he worked in construction. I worked for years in technology consulting in front of a computer 
I think baseball is still America's pastime. He thinks the military should use it as a torture device. (laughs) I could go on and on about how different John and I are. But the thing that unites us, the thing that matters to us both, and the only thing that can really explain our friendship is that we both love Jesus We both love the church. And because of that, we pray for one another. We spend time with one another. We give grace to one another. We have each other's backs. It's only explained by Jesus. That's something unique that what the church can do. It can bring together very different people. But because they all follow Jesus, they they have learned that Jesus has done something in, in reconciling us to him, that he's paid for our sins. Like the, the whole gospel is that we're enemy. We start off as enemies of God. We're, we're not wanting to go to God. And God initiates. He pursues us. He sends his son Jesus. He dies for us. And therefore, by faith, reconciles us to him and us to each other. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That people who are very different, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, people who are old and young, people who are poor and rich can get together and all fellowship around this amazing news that we have from Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing. It's something that I hope to see even increasingly within our body. Because if that news is true, it attracts people. It brings people together. Jesus says, lift me up and I will bring the world to me. This is the gospel that we have. This is a picture. Each and every member together is the body of Christ because we've all been baptized in one spirit regardless of our background and distinctions. The second point is that each and every member that is part of the church is indispensable. Each and every member that is part of the church is indispensable. Let me read verses 14 through 22. Indeed, the body is not one part but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. The illustration of the church as the body of Christ has some very clear implications for how we ought to think of the role that we play in the church and how we ought to uh, relate to each other. Consider a team sport like football. 
most people will say that the quarterback is the most valuable position in football. The Seahawks have a quarterback named Russell Wilson. Most people consider he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league. He makes the most money on the team. And even though we might wear a number three jersey with Wilson on the back, on the front it still says Seahawks. Russell Wilson, as good as he is, can't win a single NFL game by himself. Success on the field requires a team with each person on the team playing their part and playing it well. Life is like a team sport in that way. And, and those roles on the team, even the ones that don't seem to get as much shine, are really important and even indispensable. Think of the role of the kicker. Right? The kicker makes just a small fraction of what the quarterback makes. And yet, if the kicker doesn't play his role well, that affects the success of the whole team. Those of us who are Seahawks fans are probably painfully aware of that. When we consider the church as the body, it's made up of many parts, roles, and gifts, some of which seem greater or more important, others which seem of less importance. And if we don't understand the the indispensability of each part, then we'll be tempted either towards spiritual gift envy or spiritual gift elitism. I want to start by looking at spiritual gift envy. And let's look at verses 15 and 16. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. Now Paul here is, he's he's personifying body parts. Obviously body body parts don't speak. This is a a literary device that he's using. He's using personification. In the sense that his point is to Uh, is that they represent parts or gifts that may be feeling underappreciated. And therefore, they're voicing that to the other body parts. Right? The foot. The foot laments that he's not the hand. The hand, the hands, they get rings. They get paint. Paint. Hands, they get, they get regular baths. Hands, hands get hugs. Hands get hugs all the time. Feet never get hugs. <laughs> hands, they, they play music. Hands communicate. Hands, they, they bless and praise or they curse, depending on the finger. Hands get lots of attention and lots of love. Feet, feet, they get complaints. Feet, they hurt. They smell. They look terrible. They spend much of their day imprisoned in shackles that we call shoes. 
Now, if you were a foot, wouldn't you complain? Wouldn't you see the hand in all the glory of its manual dexterity and dream of one day being a hand? The point that Paul is making is it's very easy to look at another gift or another role or another member and, and wish you were that. You focus on all the negative things of your own station, of your own role, and wish that you could have the glory of the role that you perceive as better or more important. And I think that's the temptation that we have to think that because we don't play the quote-unquote important role that, that we're really not that valuable. If I'm not the hand, if I'm not the eye, then what good am I? What value am I adding? In the context of the church, you might be saying, I don't preach, I don't teach, I don't sing or play an instrument, I don't have an exciting testimony, I'm not even really that interested. I'm introverted. What value am I? What value do I bring to the table? What Paul is saying is that spiritual gift envy is as foolish as the foot or the, air, or the ear saying he's not a part of the body. Paul writes in verse 17, If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? What Paul is doing is drawing spiritual gift envy to its very illogical conclusion. How ridiculous would it be to see a 200-pound ear sitting in the front row of Harambe? Right? Just picture that image. It's the big old ear. You can look in and you can see the earwax. It's right up there. Sorry to... This is Paul, you know. I'm embellishing a little bit. But uh, it's foolish. It's ridiculous. That's the point Paul's making. Is that if you just have an ear, you would say, where's the rest of the function? Right? Even if you believe that the ear is the most important thing in the world, an ear by itself is not a body. It does not have the full functionality of a body. And so for anyone to say, you know, I'm just whatever, I wish, because basically when we say, I wish I were the hand, like what if everyone said, I wish I were the hand? Then we would have one big giant hand and no body. Like it doesn't make sense when you draw it to its logical or illogical conclusion. The body, by definition, needs many parts even the parts that we think are lesser it needs your parts it needs my parts to make it one full healthy body on the other hand we may also be tempted to spiritual gift elitism I'll read verse 21 The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. 
Now, maybe you think of yourself as having an important role or one of the greater gifts. And maybe you're tempted to think that you don't need some of the lesser gifts. And this happens in churches all the time. The preacher thinks that it's his inspired expositional preaching that's the reason for the success of the church. People just ignore the music or skip it. While the music leader thinks, no, the real reason for the success of the church is is the powerful worship experience that people get to sing and, and really worship God. They just endure the sermon. And the administrator says, no, the reason for the success of the church is because of all the structures and how clearly we communicate and how efficient we are. And in so doing, when you play up your own spiritual gift, you downplay the other gifts that you perceive as lesser. Are you tempted in this way? And so what is the corrective? It's the same as for those who struggle with spiritual gift envy. In verse 22, Paul says, On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. Again, Paul is trying to draw out the foolishness of the illogical, conclu- sorry, illogical conclusion that both spiritual gift envy and spiritual gift elitism lead to. The picture of the head saying that he doesn't need the foot is foolish. Why? Because no one's giving away their feet. Right? No one wants to even give away a toe, let alone the whole foot. Just because we think of a, a body part as less important doesn't mean anyone is willing to just give it away for nothing. We recognize that we need both our perceived important parts and our lesser parts. And as a church, we need the full diversity of all the gifts of each and every member. And I want to encourage you this morning that every single one of your gifts are indispensable. Maybe you don't sing. Maybe you don't teach. Maybe you aren't the most faith-filled or or pray for hours on end. But if you've called upon the name of Jesus, you have been gifted. You have been gifted. Paul says in in verse 18, but as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And I just want you to focus on that picture, that God took the time spent the energy and the planning to move around the parts of the body in just the way he intended so that the gift you have is no accident. It it was intimately placed by God. Like that's, that tells you that it has value. That tells you that the gift given by God has significance. God has placed you where you are. Each and every member is indispensable. And because of that, each and every member, this is my third point, each and every member needs each other. Verses 23 through 26. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, 
and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. What Paul is trying to demonstrate is that we even show honor to the weaker or unpresentable parts of our body. In what way? Clothing. Even though there are parts of your body that you keep hidden, doesn't mean that those parts aren't valuable and needed. Just because you clothe them doesn't mean you say you don't want them. And in some sense, because you take extra care to cover them means that you care about them. There's a certain respect and a certain honor that you give to your unpresentable parts in clothing them. That's Paul's purpose. Yes, you're smirking because you're right. That's the idea. They're weaker in a sense, but they're just as important. In like manner, God does not leave those with less visible gifts with any less honor. They are honorable because God has taken the time to adorn the church with each and every gift. Even the ones that aren't as upfront or as visible. They're behind the scenes. They're mica dripping with sweat from crawling around the attic of Harambe to make sure our AC is working properly. The, I came in on Wednesday <laughs> and Michael was just soaked with sweat with up on a perched up high over there like, what have you been doing? Oh, just crawling around the attic. I've been up there. I've, I've had battle scars from being up there. See that? Up, look up at the ceiling. See that patchwork? That's terrible patchwork, by the way. Um, that was my foot and whole leg, actually, going through the ceiling. And I've got a scar today to prove it. Micah's taking risks <laughs> for the benefit of the body. They're behind the scenes. They're, they're Ken who comes in with the drill to install cabinets so that we have storage for all the things that we have Sunday morning. They're my wife when my grandma was alive. Every Monday, faithfully going to see her, spend time with her, sometimes just watching soap operas for hours. So that's what my grandma liked to do. They're Kim Nong, DJing at the event on Friday. As I walked, we came to the tail end of it, seeing him show some of the kids on how to, how to spin records. They're the behind-the-scenes things. It's Bob and Jean who, who are very good about seeing people who are new and making sure that they feel welcomed. All these gifts that you don't necessarily see up front... 
and yet are crucial for the body to operate in the way that God intended it to. This is, this is what the church has the opportunity to be. A place where all the gifts, all the people are unified together for the purpose of glorifying God. Of lifting up the name of Jesus as the one who makes this type of unity and this type of family and this type of community possible. And so as you, if, if you're struggling with spiritual gift envy, if you feel in your heart you, you don't have the good gifts, that, that God didn't bless you with the visible, presentable parts, if you feel like you struggle on the other side with spiritual gift elitism, you feel independent, you feel like you can take on the world by yourself, I would encourage you to understand the idea of the church as a body because of the one spirit that we all drink from. And just as you wouldn't just give up any part of your body, I would encourage us to understand all of our importance in the work of what God is doing through this body, through Harambe Church. We we all want to be part of a healthy body where people love each other, people support each other, people use their gifts in ways that, that bring life to people. I don't know how many times I've, I've come to a place where I don't have the answer by myself. And then I think, you know what? I can talk to someone. <laughs> I, I can go to John and Angie and they can pray for us and they can reason with us. And I'm actually helped because the Spirit of God is in them and has gifted them in ways that, that I don't have. Paul later says, do, do all, in verse uh, 20, oh, 28, 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in other tongues, do all interpret? And the answer is obviously No. Like, no one person has all the gifts. Just like no one body part has all the parts. And so the point of that is we really need each other. And I think if we understand that, we make available to us help that we didn't know existed. And together, together we can be a picture of what this puzzling, diverse set of people looks like who have come to understand what Jesus has done for them to show how great he really is. Let me pray for us and then I'll lead us into communion. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would meet us where we're at, that you would for those of us who have felt less gifted or for those of us who have felt underappreciated, Lord, I ask that, that you would make known to us how great your love is for us. That you've placed us in this body with the intent 
of blessing your body. You've placed us here with the intent of being blessed by the body. So I pray that you would work in our hearts to understand that, that you would help us as a body to grow in the understanding of how of, of the unity that you've called us to. Lord, that we would Lord, that we would desire to to, to honor and lift up uh, all of those around us. So Lord, would you do that work in our hearts? Would you help us to to turn from sinful envy and elitism, that we would lay that at your feet, that we would trust in you for forgiveness of those sins. And Lord, that we would see in your Son and, and, and your provision the value that you bestow upon us. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, At this time, we also uh, celebrate communion. And communion is where 